First, let me thank you for the opportunity of fellowshipping with you once again. What a joy to see some of the expansion that's going on. It reminds me, the church in Schenectady, we live in a very historical district, and every detail has to be approved by a commission. If we wanted to paint something, or put a new roof on, or whatever, not just building, but just changing. They didn't care what went on inside the building, per se, but the outside had to look exactly the way it did 200 years ago. You have some of those same details to be modernized as such, and I congratulate you on withstanding some of the issues and, and dealing with them and pray for you in the midst of doing these things. Let us pray for a moment. Our Father and our God, we open your word to us this morning, rejoicing that we have the Bible in our own language. We have freedom to worship. We're able to sing, able to be here today. And we would be reminded of those in far less circumstances than we, as we praise your name and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's already been mentioned to you, the 500th anniversary of the start of the Reformation will be happening this coming week. You will be celebrating it on Friday, and I would encourage you. And yes, I have seen the film that is there, and there are some concerns there, but children need to see these things. They see them all the time on television. So don't let the rating of the film deter your family from seeing these things. And out of that Reformation came the very familiar issues that we consider Scripture alone, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, and glory to God alone. But also in the midst of that was an issue that we sometimes just take for granted. It was called the priesthood of the believer. Martin Luther revealed anew to the church how important you are to God's kingdom. We recognize easily that preachers are called, missionaries are called, but do you recognize this morning that you are called just in the same way? To a different task, perhaps. Maybe to be a teacher. Maybe to be an engineer. Maybe to be a janitor. Maybe to be a teenager. Maybe to be a homemaker. Whatever that calling may be, it may not be as dramatic as we read with the man we call Moses. Most of us remember Moses as that great leader that confronted the evil empire of that day, Pharaoh. But we find him first tending his father-in-law's flock on the backside of a mountain. And there he sees something dramatic. And one of the dramatic pictures in our scriptures is what we call the burning bush. And Moses turned to see. And God spoke out of that to a shepherd. Yes, <clears throat> prepared in a way that few in his day had been prepared. And yet, God called this man. A man who was not eloquent. And he argued with God about that. 
Who am I to go? <clears throat> I can imagine for a moment some of the issues that floated through his mind. He recognized his own inadequacies. And God says, I'm sending you. But who am I, said Moses. And God says, I will be with you. And I will provide what you need. And God calls us in the same way. Just as he called your pastor, he calls you. <clears throat> it may not be as dramatic as with Moses. Be thankful for that. Because if it were, you would have to go to Washington. And some of you may be called to do that. Listen to God's call. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, Paul was not writing this from an ivory tower. He tells us in the first part of this verse that he was a prisoner of the Lord. He recognized that even though in prison, that God was able to do exceeding abundantly above all that he would ask or think, according to the power that is at work within him. Now, Paul was a scholar indeed, trained. You will say, well, I'm not a Paul. But neither were those early apostles. They came from ordinary backgrounds, fishermen, tax collectors. And we don't know some of the background of the others. But God calls you in exactly the same way that he called Moses. In exactly the same way that he called your pastor. And he calls missionaries. And it is incumbent upon us to respond to that call. Even in our weaknesses. I'm not eloquent. They will not believe me. Why should I go? Yet, God's call to Moses stood. And when God calls us, it is with his grace. In fact, in 2 Timothy, Paul writes, God saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. God has a purpose for your life. Far greater than you might even imagine. And he has placed you in your position to be his witness. And he challenges us to walk worthy of that calling. Worthy. That means that your life would have meaning. Not just in getting a paycheck, but have meaning in life. And through life into eternal life. What would a man gain if he possesses the whole world, said Jesus, but forfeits his own self? Oh, what a challenge we have in this day and time. What a wonderful time to be alive. 
What a wonderful time to be where you are. You may think sometimes that life is a rat race, and in some ways, it really is. But God calls you. And when God calls you, he empowers you. And if you know the rest of the story with Moses, God gave him a couple of life illustrations. One was the staff that he had. One was putting his hand into his cloak and finding it was leprous and then cleansed again. And he says, I have prepared Aaron for you, your brother. And we don't know whether Moses even knew he had a brother or not. From reading the scriptures, it doesn't make it clear. But God has already prepared you and prepared the way for you. I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, fearing no evil. I walk in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Make your life have meaning. Mothers, as you raise your children, and there's not a greater calling than to be a parent of a child, mother or father, to raise the next generation for the glory of God. Jochebed was Moses' mother. When she put him in that little reed basket, did she ever think for a moment that this would be the one that would lead Israel out of Egypt. I doubt it. But she trusted God. And I say to you, you can trust God when you walk worthy, leading a holy life. God's called you to holiness. We don't hear that word very often in today's society. We don't see it demonstrated very often. But a person of integrity, a person of honesty, a person it's there for the glory of God. Jesus said it would not be an easy time. But I would remind you, when the Apostle Paul was writing this, it was one of the most evil times in the history of mankind. Christians were not well liked. And I am not a preacher of gloom and doom. But the time may come in which the Christianity if not already here, is mocked and looked down upon. How can you believe such stuff? God calls you to be a light in a dark place. And how do we do that? God tells us in verse 2 of this, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. First, as that word completely. All of your life, whether at home or at church or at the grocery store, at the service station, at work, at play, is to be completely God-centered. One of the most devastating things that a young teenager said to me when I was talking about his father, the teenager said to me, he is not like that at home. Oh, are you like at home that you are in public, in church? 
God says, be completely. And the first word he uses is humble. And Paul had to create a new Greek word for this word humble. Because most of us think of it as to be walked upon. To be looked down upon. But no, Paul takes this out. And some scholars have said this is the missing jewel in the Christian's life. It's humility. Humility is just simply willing to be a servant of God in whatever position you're in. Whatever that might mean. It might mean not getting a promotion. It may not be the most, meaning the most popular person in your high school. It may not be that you get all that you de- desire and I'd say all that you deserve, perhaps. Humility is just simply being a servant of the Lord, recognizing that you are there to serve God. Sometimes that will be looked upon with admiration. Sometimes it'll be looked upon with dissatisfaction. When you're there to do a good job and everybody else is there to get a paycheck. Jesus said, if anyone's to come after me, take up his cross daily and follow me. And many times we think of taking up our cross as some heavy burden, a disease, a lack of financial resources, an invalid partner. Sometimes we think of a burden as that big, giant thing. But the cross is simply to identify with Jesus daily and the little things of life. And that is where most of us live, in the little things of life. Moses had defended one of Jethro's daughters, with all of his daughters, when they were being pushed aside, bullying as such. Moses went out in the daily things. He was tending his father-in-law's sheep. Don't I deserve better than this? Don't I deserve my own herd? I'm sure he could say. But he was daily being what God wanted him to be. That's what it is to walk worthy of the calling. You have been called just as much as the missionary that you support, just as much as the pastor that you look to. You have been called, and God calls you to walk worthy of that. Calling. And by the way, the NIV says that you live a life. The original Greek says that you walk around. It's how you live your daily life. And living a life worthy is a good translation. But it it really means how do you carry yourself? Do people think of you as being a servant of God? Asking what can you do to be humble? Not in those words, but what can I do to serve other people? You see trash on the side of the road. And our first thought is, why would someone do that? 
How could I serve God? Maybe picking it up. Oh, I know some of the dangers that are involved in that. I remember reading of a subway conductor in the Boston area that every day at the end of his route, if he was ahead of schedule, he would just get out and walk around. And he saw all the trash at the end of the subway system. And he began to pick it up. And each day he looked forward to getting there so that he could pick up the trash. And then when all the trash was gone, he looked forward to planting some flowers there. Finding something beautiful instead of the mess that other people have made. We would like for them to clean up their mess. God says for us to be completely humble and gentle in the process. Oh, gentleness is a word that is not respected in today's society. We have all heard the expression, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And so we like to squeak. We like to complain. We like to see the things that are happening around us, and there's many of those things that we could complain about. God says to be gentle in how we deal with those issues. Find a way in which that God can help us. Even around the water cooler when crass jokes are played and said to us. Even when we see someone else being bullied. And that's a big thing in today's school society. What can we do in the midst of all of those things? We can be a servant of God. We can be gentle in how we deal with those things. And we don't have any instructions as such. But God guides us and leads us. When I sing of my Redeemer, it is not just something to happen on a Sunday. It is to go out into the world to be a life, a light in darkness. And some of us live in very dark places, even with our families. God has put you there for a purpose, a rich purpose, that you are there, gentle, not the harsh words and the rhetoric. You know what the word Protestant really means? It comes from protestant. Protest, meaning to stand for something and not against something. And it's easy to tear down. It's hard to stand for. A Protestant is a protestant, one who is standing for something, for a testimony of God. And God calls his church anew and afresh in this generation. Paul's generation, Martin Luther's generation, you're in my generation. Oh, what a glory that is. We are called. And our character is to be completely humble and gentle and patient. God is still working on me in that area, by the way. And he gives me opportunity to learn. Something that happens in our life that makes us impatient. That means that I wanted it my way, my time. And God says, I'm working on you. 
please be patient with me. God is not finished with me yet. Remember that expression? You may be placed in a particular situation just for the opportunity for you to grow in the midst of your life, sometimes between husband and wife. I shared with a couple just recently that when you have two strong people that are married to each other, it's going to take a lot of forgiveness, a lot of trust, and a lot of patience. But God brings you together for a purpose, for the richness of his glory to be shown afresh. Am I willing to walk worthy of that calling, a holy calling before God? Called to be saints, says Paul in a writing to the Colossians. The saint really means just a holy one. We don't like the word holy. We think of it in a couple of different directions, a holy roller, someone that's fanatical. We think it is someone that's better looking, that, that they think they're better as they look down on other people than other people. But God calls us to be a holy walk with him. How you carry yourself to be patient in dealing with the circumstances around us, some of which I cannot change, some of which I can change. But allow God to do the changing. I want to do the changing sometimes. If I have a rebellious teenager, I want God to change that young person. And God may be calling me to love in a greater way than I've ever loved before. My, one of my teenage boys went through a period in which that he didn't want me to hug him. And that was one way to express I would hug my family each day. And so I promised him that I would not hug him in front of his friends. But when he was at home, I'd hug him when I wanted to. He has become the best hugger in my family. <laughs> I didn't plan it that way. I let God take over. Now I'm called to be a representative of Christ in my family first, in my circumstances, and in the process to be completely humble, willing to serve God no matter what. And then my conduct is supposed to show that. My calling is in my character and in my conduct. And look how this is stated in verse 2. Bearing with one another in love. That word bearing really means to put your shoulder to the task. For instance, if you see a wall about ready to fall on a group of people, our natural instinct is to run. But God says, put your shoulder to that wall to protect those that it may fall upon. That's what bearing with one another really means. In love. The old-fashioned word for love was charity. Some of you may have learned that 
if you were brought up with a King James Version that the translation of love was charity. And the reason for that is because charity is that you give of yourself. And that's what love is. That you're giving of yourself. Not your money, but you're giving yourself. And you're saying, Lord, use me as you use the efforts of my hands, the efforts of my mind, the efforts of my life. Use me. That's not what Moses said. Moses said, you're bound to have some better people than I am. And God says, no, Moses. Moses, Moses. And it'd be an interesting study to look at the time that God calls people by their name twice. Samuel, Samuel. Moses, Moses. I will be with you. Your conduct is to reflect who I am. Giving of yourself. Putting your shoulder to the task. Whatever that might mean. And when I am faithful in small things. Working in the nursery. Anytime I baptize a child. I tell the parents I am doubly blessed. I am blessed that the child is yours. And I am blessed that the child is not mine. (laughs) But I am blessed. Making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. How many churches have been torn apart over things? And a building program is one of those times that can divide a church. We don't need it. What color should we paint the walls? How should we do this and how should we do that? And the evil one gets in there to keep us from the bond of peace. Peace is not just the absence of trouble. Peace is seeking the best for the glory of God. So when there are disagreements, I can still like blue better than green. I can still like chocolate ice cream better than vanilla ice cream. But I'm not going to lose that bond of peace with you. You see, that's where Paul is really going in the midst of all of this. He's going to the unity of the church. Ephesians, the first three chapters, deal with the doctrine of the church. The last three chapters deal with how we are to react in the midst of that. The body of Christ. The bond of peace. The unity of the spirit. And then don't say that that applies to everybody else. Look how that is stated in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. God has a task for you in the church, in your home, at work, in the world in which you walk about, how you carry yourself. And he urges us, and Paul can say, as a prisoner of this Lord, I know what it means. Walk worthy 
Live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And to each one of us has been given grace to do that. May you find that grace sufficient in the task at hand where you live this week. Let us pray. Our Father, how easy it is to be molded like the world. Let us be transformed in our hearts and in our minds that we may be like Jesus. Help us to walk worthy, to live a life worthy of that calling as children of God, as children of light, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.